Yoda here, VeteransCast.com, podcast episode number two. I want to thank you for joining us. We are getting this thing underway. We had episode one. We talked to our buddy CBK. We'll talk to CBK as we go along. This Veterans Cast, this Veterans Podcast thing is, as I said in episode one, you want to go back and listen to episode one, exactly what we're trying to do here. But ultimately, it comes down to getting those memories out and getting those memories down and recorded as we get older in, uh, in our lives. <laughs> Sometimes those memories go away. We want to get them down and we want people to be able to hear these great military stories. Uh, might be more Navy, I guess, because I was in the Navy, but uh, I'm going to try to talk to everybody because I think everybody's got a story. There are a couple other podcasts out there like this, so uh, go ahead and check those out. But uh, we're going to try to keep it more of that conversational or just telling of the story. So if it's just me, I'm going to be telling you my story. want to get it down on, uh, like I said, on uh, recorded or whatever it might be. So that way my kids, my grandkids, their grandkids, whatever, may be able to go and say, hey, that's what uh, this guy did when he was in the service, when he was in the Navy and or in any service. So VeteransCast.com, please be sure to like it, share it, Facebook, Twitter, we're on all that stuff. So if you're listening to this, please go and like that stuff and share it with your friends because these are great stories. These are stories that people may or, you know, may forget, they may have forgotten, and then, oh, yeah, I was there for that or, or whatnot. I did listen. It's, it's interesting. I told you I listened to a podcast or there are other podcasts out there like this, and I did listen to one that uh, it was a person who was in the military and it was a submarine guy in the 90s and talked about a program called NAVCAD, which was interesting because I remember I joined thinking I was going to get in that program. And so, you know, to hear somebody say that program was like, wow, yeah, I, I remember that. And hearing the story is very similar. You know, last uh, episode we talked a little bit about the Top Gun, why I joined the Navy, and how Top Gun influenced that. Well, it also influenced this, this young lad at the time as well, now an older lad. So that's why I think it's real cool because you get to hear some of these, these stories. And, and you could have been a veteran who served with me, or maybe not, or maybe you served something else or somewhere else, and and you now go, yeah, I remember similar stories, and you might want to share them. So please email me, Tim, at VeteransCast.com if you want to get on to this show or this podcast and share your stories. I'd love to hear them. These are great stories, like I said, that we don't want to lose. And I'm interested. I, I just, because I love sharing my Navy stories and my military stories you know, uh, when I served, and I would love to hear yours. So please email me, Tim, at VeteransCast.com, and we'll get the ball rolling. So episode number two, we're going to continue on with, with my journey in the military, in the Navy. We talked a little bit before about, uh, you know, why I joined. Well, now I did join. So I joined, and now I am in this delayed entry. And for those of you who don't know, when you do join the military, and I'm sure a lot of uh, veterans uh, had to deal with this, at least later on veterans, you know, if you got drafted, Sometimes they, get, they gave you a report date, and that was it. But uh, we had this thing called delayed entry. Once you signed up, you were considered in like an inactive reserve status. You were actually in the military. You just weren't trained, which was kind of nice because I was actually inactive uh, delayed entry for just under a year, about 11 months. And it turns out that that 11 months did help me in the back end because I was only required to do three more years of reserve time. Because when I joined, 
I actually signed an eight-year contract. I got four years active, and then it was four years inactive. Well, that delayed entry time counted as inactive, but I wasn't going to get called up, most likely. I was in high school, so they weren't going to come pull me out of high school. So that was one of those things where I got credit for that time, even though I really wasn't doing anything in the Navy. However, delayed entry did have some things that you had to do. It was very interesting. You had to call your recruiter. I believe it was once a week. It was either once a month or once a week. You had to check in with your recruiter and tell him you were still alive and you were still going to go to the Navy on your report date for boot camp. And so that was interesting. You had those conversations like those guys didn't have enough to do. You'd make, make those calls. And I, rem I remember... You know, I was, uh, my, my dad lived in California. I, I grew up in the Chicago area. My dad was in California, and I would spend my summers in California. So I had to go out uh, to California to see my dad during the summer. And I was all like, oh, I got to call the, the, you know, the Navy guy. And re this is before the cell phones and just unlimited plans and all that. So it was like long-distance call. My dad's not going to like that. I'm going to have to go to the recruiting station, the local recruiting station in uh, Huntington Beach, California, to call my dad or to call the recruiter because I didn't want my dad's phone to be charged. So I did, but it wouldn't have mattered. I could have called him collect, but I just wanted, I, I felt part of something. You know, you, when you join the Navy and when you do it voluntarily, a lot of times you feel like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And you're looking forward to that. And I know sometimes when you do actually get in, things change. And I'm sure there's plenty of people with bad stories or stories of, of why they don't know why they did it and wish they wouldn't have done it. But uh, ultimately, before that all happens, if you're not drafted, if you sign the papers and you're going to get to go do a job that you want to do, there's a real good chance that you, you're excited to do that. And so I was, and, and I, I couldn't wait, so I, I felt part of something. So I could go to the recruiting station. I felt part of the Navy, even though I really wa I was, but I wasn't part of the Navy. I felt part of something. So I went to that recruiting station, and I knocked on the door. I walked in and said, hey, I'm... I'm Tim, and I'm from the Chicago area, and I'm in the Navy. Can I please call my recruiter? And I'll of course, and you get to chat, and you feel like you're part of that. Other interesting things that happened in delayed entry. So you had to meet. It was once a week, now that I remember it, but you had to meet with your recruiter once a month. They had to come and see, make sure that you were still, you know, A-OK. -okay. Because you take a drug test and do those type of things before you – or when you when you get in when you enlist when you when you do all your your physical and paperwork and all that stuff, so you're supposed to you know remain clean and all that stuff until until basically you know you get in the navy and then they do it again. But we're gonna get into that we get in that later. But so, so it's pretty crazy how that all works, and um, and so you go and you meet with your recruiter once a month, and when I first did that. It, you know, there's a bunch of us. You know, it's, it's a lot of these delayed entry folk were people. So I, I joined, like I told you last episode, I joined the, my junior year. So my junior to senior year, right after my junior year, I joined. So I got a whole, like I said, a whole about a year of delayed entry. And a lot of people were in that same boat because they wanted to get the best jobs. And Navy recruiters are good at that. So I'm, I'm with these folks, and we get together, and they all, you know, they pick the day. It's got to be on a Saturday a lot of times. Saturday meet us here. And we, just, we started doing these drills. And they would pick somebody and said, hey, you know, you're going to be in charge and we're going <laughs> to we're going to let you march the, the, the us around. And I remember I was like, these guys are morons. And I'm just I'm, I'm standing there thinking, what did I get myself into? I mean, I'm going to be be with, with people like this. 
I mean, they weren't that bad, but it was just like it was kind of like a, a shelter shock because you are you've been sheltered your whole life. Or you know, this is long before the internet. Obviously, long before you know, kids these days can talk to people all across the world. We didn't really have that back when I grew up, back in the you know high school in the in the late '80s, early '90s. So you're now getting exposed to different people, which ultimately ends up being a good thing. So I don't want to make it a negative thing, but that's how it starts out. You just you're a little off, you know, a little un, uneased by it, you know, a little, a little off kilter. So, I mean, I, it was nice to, to meet some of these folks, but I'm like, I don't want to do this. Plus, I played sports. So the recruiters did give me a pass. They ended up saying, you know what, just show up to our office once a week. You don't have to. We realize you play sports, you're, you're working, you're busy. We just need and, and we trust you. We think you're going to be okay, but this is something that we have to do that we're required to do. So that's why you got credit for that delayed entry time. And so, you know, I did that, and I, I was happy to go to the recruiting office. And, and the recruiters, I did work for the recruiters. That was the other thing they told you. They said, if you help the recruiters get more people in the Navy, that would advance your pay, your rank. Because most people, when they join the military, they're E1, as an enlisted, they're E1. And... It's pretty easy to move up to E3, but you still have to jump through some hoops to do that. And there is pay raises in, in, uh, that do happen, but you can't enter the Navy as an E3. Most people, if they have any college, they get, get that E3. Um, if they do other things, to, there's other things you can qualify for the E3. And one of the things that you could do to qualify was you could help the recruiters recruit people into the Navy. So I remember, I'm like, oh, this is great. I can do this. You know, I, love, I, I could talk about the Navy. Let's bring people in. So I went to my school, and I talked to the counselors. I said, hey, can we set up a time to get the Navy recruiter to come in and talk to, to folks? And so I was kind of doing their job for them. Well, I did. I was able to do that. And so I brought in the Navy recruiter, and the Navy recruiter was able to get a couple people from that recruitment uh, class that we had at the high school. And I, you know, I stood up in front of the class. and like, hey, I've joined, folks. You should too. And even though I never had been in the Navy yet, I just has been pre-Navy. You know, I did the only, my, my only Navy experience up to that point. Actually, it wasn't even up to that point. Um, I, I had not even been on the Navy base. So, uh, you know, I didn't even, I've been by Navy bases, but I didn't really have anything to, other than Top Gun or other than movies or a Hunt for Red October or whatever it might be. That was my only Navy experience of saying, hey, this is going to be a cool thing to do. And with going through all of the... Uh, the actual enlistment part of it, the physical and just kind of hearing everything what the Navy has to offer, that I, how could I talk about the Navy positively? But I did because guess what? There was money. There was money at the other end of that. Let me tell you, it worked. I was able to get a couple of those guys to join. And because of that, I think I only needed two people to get up to E3. Or maybe it was three or four. I don't remember exactly. But the recruiters were able to put in the paperwork. So I entered the Navy as an E3. Ultimately, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but let me tell you, if you were in the military, you probably know it is. We're talking money. We're talking cash here. We're talking rank. You know, money and rank, they, they go hand in hand in regards to the military. So that's one of those things where it's, uh, it, when you go in as an E3, I probably, if, you know, I probably made thousands of dollars more because of it. Now, I only did move up to E4 before I, I left, but that, it, it doesn't matter. I was able to get E3 pay for a significant uh, period of time without having to worry about going from E1 to E2 to E3. So that was kind of a cool thing that I did in delayed entry that allowed me to enter the Navy as, at a little higher rank, 18 years old, right out of high school, four days out of high school, and I was able to enter in as an E3.
three. So that's kind of how delayed entry worked. And it, it, it was one of those, it's nice that I was able to get that time for inactive reserve, like I said before, but it was, I always found it funny because I was in the Navy and I remember I would tell people, I'm joining the Navy, I've joined the Navy. And I said that for a year and it was like a countdown. And when I was at, in, still a senior in high school, believe it or not, I went to a high school where like 80 to 90% of the graduating class went to college. And, you know, there were a few people who didn't go to college, but people kind of knew they weren't going to go to college. And I was kind of in the group that would have gone to college. So when people are hearing that I was going to the military and the Navy, and, and that was a Gulf War time, let me tell you. 1991, I graduated in 92. 91 was Gulf War. So not a lot of people, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that, but there was a war going on, kind of. So the fact that I stepped up and joined, that really uh, was one of those things that, that resonated with people because they were like, wow, you're going to go serve your country. And I go, yeah, I'm going to go serve my country. So that was that was a great thing that it was nice to get those accolades from my peers who, and I remember one guy at, in high school who was, I'd say he's very popular, one of the more popular people that I went to high school with. He came up to me when, I, when we graduated, right around it, and said, man, you know, I got a lot of respect for you because what you're doing. You know, there's not a lot of people who are willing to go do this, and you are, and I got a ton of respect for that. And, you know, when, when an 18-year-old kid, a peer of yours, says that, it does mean a lot because that means people do recognize the sacrifice that is, is being made. Now, there were a lot of benefits that I was going to get for being in the military. You know, obviously the educational benefits, the GI Bill, Illinois Veterans Grant, which I think I mentioned last episode, of why it would be, it was, it was beneficial for me to join the Navy and then, you know, come back to Illinois and, and whatnot and, and get my education. But it, I really wanted to be in the military. I always wanted to be in the military in some form. It was as a kid, and so it was really cool to, to, to know that that's what, where I was going. But <laughs> four days, four days, that's all I had. That was my senior summer, folks, four days. I graduated high school on a Sunday, and Thursday my life began. Yes, boot camp. Report to boot camp. Now let me tell you about this day. This was... This is one of those, so, so you have the graduation, which is a great thing. You have the graduation um, of high school. I have a, a stepbrother who we graduated it, it together. So because of that, we had this huge party. And my mom comes from a family of 11. And so all of my aunts and uncles came in for it. My stepdad has four uh, brothers and sisters. They all came. My dad's side of the family They've got, there's, there's uh, four other, or five members of that family. They all came. And then my stepbrother's mother's family, they all came. So we had this huge party. Thanks to my parents still, that was a really cool thing for them to do. And it was kind of like this send-off because everybody knew that I was going in the Navy. Everybody knew four days, well, I guess the party was before graduation, but they knew about a week or so I was going to be going in the Navy. And so it was not only a graduation party, but it was like this send-off. And everybody was still in town four days later when it was time for me to ship out. And I remember it was, my, my report day was on a Thursday. But Wednesday night, the recruiter picks you up. Or the night before, but in my case, it was Wednesday night. 
And so we're waiting on the porch and all of my aunts, a lot, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of aunts and uncles are there because my mom is a wreck, okay? Her son is going off to war. No, I'm just going up the road to Great Lakes, which is only 40 minutes away. But it might as well have been I was going off to war because that's how it was. And it was something like right out of World War II. You would, you would have thought, you know, it, it, we should have had the camera, that, you know, the black and white reel to reel rolling because it would have been, it would have been the eight millimeter. It would, have been, it would have fit perfect in that. But so here comes a recruiter driving down. You know, we lived in a court, living in the back of the court. Here comes a recruiter driving down. And so the recruiter gets in, he sees all these people, and he's like, uh-oh, am I going to have to fight to take this kid to the Navy? And so there was hugs and tears and all that stuff. And, and it ended up being, being okay. I get in the car. It's really you know, like, here we go. You know, it's almost, you know, and CBK talked about this last week, about doing time. Like sometimes some people refer to being in the military as doing time. Um, I didn't really have that feeling about it, but it still had that you're going. Like this is it. You know, you can't, there's no second choice here. You, you, you're, you're on your way to boot camp. Now, this is, this is another part of this, which is just pretty nuts. So I have, they have to take me to this hotel uh, in, near uh, Pelwaukee, Chicago Executive Airport. It's the same hotel that you, you stay in when you take the test or you, take, uh, or you get um, processed into the military. So I'd been to this hotel before, and there was, a, it was the basketball finals were going on, the NBA basketball finals, and the Chicago Bulls was right in the midst of their first three-peat. So I guess this would have been their second uh, run. And so you know, at the time, being a kid, you know, playing basketball in high school, I was a basketball fan. And all I wanted to do was catch the game of the finals because I knew that I wouldn't be able to see any more. <laughs> so I get to the hotel. I check in the hotel. I'm 18 years old now, so now I'm an adult and, you know, whatever. It's a flea bag motel, but it's okay. So I go and I, I check in and, and all I have with me is just like some overnight stuff because Basically, it's, it is kind of similar to going into prison, I think. I'm not that I've ever been in prison, but I'm sure it, there is some similarities. But I'm in this hotel room, and when I'm in the hotel room, I go to turn on the TV to watch the Bulls game, to watch the Chicago Bulls. They were playing, in the, the, I think they were going against Portland, Portland Trailblazers, or Blazers, whatever they call them now. But go to turn on the TV, TV is just like, you know, snow, you know, like, like that type of stuff. And I, I can't watch it. None of the channels work. I'm like, what the heck is going on? So I turn and look at the TV and the cable has been cut. Somebody cut the cable to the wall. And I'm like, oh, that, that sucks. So this tells you what type of hotel we were in, you know, so it, all right, they, cut the, they cut the cable. All right. So I'm like, I guess I have to listen to the game. But before I did that, I'm like, uh, you know, let me go, let me go for a walk, you know, get some fresh air. Walk down to the McDonald's. I even mentioned that McDonald's in the last podcast. Walk down to the McDonald's, and I go and get like the last supper, you know, down there. And all right, this is my last good meal, maybe. Who knows? So I eat, eat McDonald's, come back. I turn on the radio because uh, they had a radio in the bed or in the uh, hotel room, and I listened to the Bulls game instead of watched it which was a little disappointing, but I was by myself, you know, still a little nervous, but excited. So it was one of these nervous, excited feelings. You know, you don't know what's going to happen next, but you, it could be good, and it could be bad, but it, you're, you're, you're anxious. And, and I, would, I wouldn't even say cautiously optimistic. I think I was a, lot, a little bit more on, on that, you know, nervous fence because you just don't know what's going to happen. So now it's time to go to bed because, you know, one, 
early wake up. You know, the phone is going to the, the phone is going to ring at five o'clock in the morning, and your bus leaves at six o'clock in the morning. You got to be down here. If you're not, you're a wall. Blah 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 blah. You know, they they scare the crap out of you. Don't miss your bus. So I have all this stuff to take a nice last good shower and and whatnot, and just just be ready. And I'll get up at five, and everything will be good. So it's time to go to bed. Go to sleep. Well, I wake up and there's light coming in through the room, which that shouldn't be happening. And I look at it at the clock and it's six o'clock in the morning. And I was like, I wake up and I jump out of bed. I'm like, holy crap, it's six o'clock in the morning. I'm going to miss my bus. And I was freaking out because the phone never rang. It was supposed to ring at uh, four o'clock. They didn't have an alarm clock in there. You know, this is way, like I said, this is before, you know, hotels had all that stuff. They don't have an alarm clock. The, the phone never rang. So I am freaking out because this is like, I'm not, I'm going to miss this bus. What am I going to do? They're going to throw me in the brig. I'm going to be AWOL. So I just jump out of the bed. I don't take a shower. Now remember, I'm going to boot camp and I don't take a shower. I don't shave. I don't do anything. I don't even brush my teeth. I don't have time. I just grab my bag. I get dressed. I run down to the lobby and I get to the front desk. I'm like, you never called me. I missed my bus. He goes, your phone was off the hook. I'm like, what do you mean my phone was off the hook? Well, it turns out that my phone, the, somebody cut the wire to my phone. So not only did they cut the cable for the TV, they cut the phone wire because my phone wasn't off the hook. So the guy's like, oh, I was going to come up and get you, you know, in a little bit. There's another bus at 630. They don't tell you that. They tell you to be down here at 6 o'clock, but there's really another bus at 6.30, so you were, all, you were okay. Well, I'm like, I could have taken a shower then. Holy crap. So now I'm sitting there, and so I'm, I'm, like, I'm sweating, and I'm just freaking out. And, I mean, I'm out of breath, and I'm like, what, I'm like now shaking, because what are we going to do here? So I wait for the bus, obviously, but I don't go back to I've checked out of the room. So I don't go back to the room and take a shower or anything, so that kind of sucks. So now this is my whole day. And I am going into the Navy. So that's how my, my boot camp starts. It start, before I even get there, it's just it's a, it's crazy, hectic, upside down. So get on the bus and get to the uh, military processing station. So once again, it's a lot of sitting around because you're, you're there, and they, they, they swear you in again. They make sure that you want to do this. And you, you know, I don't know if I had to sign anything again. I probably did. I, I don't remember. Didn't do another physical. That came down in, in boot camp. They check you out again. But just kind of sitting around waiting. And the way it works is that when everybody's going to boot camp, and, and um, this was they, when I was in, they had three boot camps. They had Great Lakes, they had Orlando, and they had San Diego for the Navy. They had those three boot camps. And, of course, being in the Chicago area, I mean, they assigned me Great Lakes. But that wasn't a guarantee, by the way. There were people from the Chicago area who did get assigned to other boot camps. But whatever. I got Great Lakes. So I'm thinking, all right, we go to the military processing station, and they're just going to take us up there. Well, it's not that simple. And nothing was ever that simple in the military. As If you were in the military, you probably know. So we had to actually bus over to O'Hare Airport and go to the USO at O'Hare Airport so that way we, we could get taken to Great Lakes because they didn't have a bus from the military processing station. Everybody went to O'Hare because all these people were flying in. Now, we didn't have to fly in, so they brought us over early. We were there at like 10 o'clock. 
We get there at 10 o'clock. We're the first people there. There's probably about 20 of us. And it turns out that there were a couple people in this group. I, I want to say, oh, there was one for sure, maybe two, who I was, coincidentally, ended up being with almost my first entire year of being in the Navy, which you just don't know, know that because you don't realize that they're doing the same job you are. You're in the same, go to, you're in the same uh, boot camp company. Then you go to the same A school. And then we actually went to the same aircraft familiarization school. It was one, I know it was one guy for sure. Um, so it was, you just don't know that. So you start kind of chitting. There's eight of us, if I remember correctly, eight of us that were there at, uh, at the processing station getting ready to go out to Great Lakes. So we get, we get to O'Hare, we're standing around the USO, and then they're like, all right, you guys are going. So it was, like I said, about 40 minutes from, actually about, probably about 30 minutes from, from O'Hare. We get up there, we get on this bus, and we're the first people there. So because, once again, they're waiting for everybody to fly in. And if you were, if you were in boot camp, you know this. You've got to fly into the airport, and then you, take, you go to the USO or whoever, and then they bus you over. Well, everybody, you, you still start out at the military processing center, and then you go to the airport normally. Well, we, didn't need to do, we went to the airport, but our, we didn't, weren't catching a flight. We were catching a bus to Great Lakes. So we were there way early. So they bring us into this room. And we're just sitting in this room, the eight of us. I mean, I, I mean, we must have sat in this room for at least an hour. Nobody's saying anything. And you're all, everybody's nervous. They don't know what to expect. So then this person, this, this sailor walks in, and he had just gotten done with boot camp, and he was waiting for school. And so they were putting him at work doing some admin stuff. And so he's kind of cool. He's like, he sits down. He's not a company commander or anything like that. He's like, all right, guys, what, what questions do you have? Let me, let me put you guys at ease. This is open, you know, just chill out. We're going to put you at ease. Just ask me what, any questions that you might have. So we start asking questions about what to expect in boot camp and, you know, this and that. And yeah, he's like playing it down. It's not bad. It's only six weeks. You, you know, it'll be over before you know it, this and that. So you, that's fine. But you're still like, you, you still wonder what's behind door number two, as they said, <laughs> as you're, because you're on, now you're on the base. You, you're, you're behind the security. Uh-oh, what's going to happen next? Well, so now it's, like I said, we've been in there a few hours, and now it's getting close to dinner time. And we're, you know, in civilian clothes. We haven't done anything to process ourselves into the Navy. We're sitting in this room waiting for more people to arrive because they can't just process the, us eight. They've got to process everybody. So the company commander's like, well, we've got to get these. A company commander comes in and says, we've got to get these guys fed. We've got to get them chow. So let's, uh, let's get them over to the... Uh, uh, the, the mess hall. Let's get them over to the galley so they can get some food. Well, this, and, and if you went to Great Lakes, I'm sure you experienced this. You might not have been the person in the civilian clothes, but you definitely saw the person in the civilian clothes or, or the people. So we had to, like, they put us in formation. We never march. We never march before. They, they march us over to the mess hall. And now we're in the middle. The eight of us have to eat with everybody and we're all in civilian clothes. We stand out like sore thumbs. Like it, it's, it, I mean, we're just, we're like, you know, the redhead stepchild and, and whatever it might be. You can just tell that, that these guys are the newbies. The newbies are here. These guys are new. Fresh meat, all that stuff. And it was very unnerving, actually. Um, but we're eating. We get our food. We get our dinner. And we're like kind of all still pretty nervous. Well, when we get back, Guess what? Now everything's, you know, a free-for-all. All the people that started to come, they don't get to eat because they should have had food before they got there. So now it's like hustle and bustle. 
let's go. We're going we're gonna to process you in. So, all right, let's go. We're going to process in. So I remember this is the, the biggest thing about processing in, which was, which was nuts. Because they drug test everybody going, like I said, they drug test you when you first join, but then they drug test you again when you show up to boot camp because, you know, the marijuana thing doesn't go with the military. They don't want any of that. So, but it's not, it's not an easy drug test. You walk in, and this was, when I joined, when I was in the, you know, obviously the females could, were absolutely in, but they weren't, they were no, there were no females at Great Lakes. The females were at Orlando. So there were no females that were going through boot camp. So things were a little different because of that. So you walked into this bathroom, and, or a head as they called it, obviously, in, in, in the military or in the Navy, a head. You walk in, and it's, there's like 15 urinals lined up. And then about two feet from the urinals are footprints like that are on the floor. And actually, I think they were both sides. So it might not have been, it was one side facing one, one side facing the other, but there was these footprints. So they had everybody line up on these footprints facing the urinal, but you were still about two, three feet from the urinal. They go down and they hand everybody a cup and they say, drop your pants and pee. Like right there, in front of like, there's 20 guys. Drop your pants and pee. And they watch you. And they stand there and they watch you pee. Now, I've gotten very used to this in the military <laughs> because through the years, because that's what you had to do. And I've done lots of drug tests now because of the job that I have. I have to take drug tests all the time because it's a safety-sensitive position. So I've gotten very used to peeing in a cup. But at that particular time, I was not. 18 years old, four days out of high school, and some guy is looking at my junk telling me to pee. Um, it's not the easiest thing to do, let me tell you. And it, you, you start to get the, 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 the fear of, the, of that. And now, you know, it's some guy, you got to pee now. Let's go. And then if not, then they, they, they give you like five minutes. And if you don't, they yank you out. They pull your pants back up and they yank you out. Start drinking water. They put you over the side. And as people are peeing, they're like shuffling them in, shuffling them out. And they're, are you ready to go yet? And then, so like, try again. Couldn't do it. And they're like, are you ready? They yell you back, all right, you better drink some more water. You're going to have to pee, young man. Actually, they didn't say that. I'm being nice. Young man, yeah, right. You're going to have to pee, puke. Maybe it was something like that. I don't know. But the, um, finally, drink enough water, was able to squeeze some out, and then be on my merry way. So that's, you know, now it's like it, it, you're freaking out. Like, and I'm sure I am not the only one, by the way. Being younger, maybe if you were older, you didn't. But being younger, absolutely. I was freaking out a little bit about this. So um, finally get through the line, get through, you know, finally pee in the cup and move on to the next station. I don't remember exactly what happened next. I know we probably went and did some other, other things. But we were given a lot of paperwork. And I remember sitting in a classroom. And they hand you your dog tags. And then they hand you the, the little chain, the little ball chain things that, that your dog tags that, that go on and that you wear, like a necklace. I had never done anything with, with the, like these types of chains before where you got the little clip and the little humidicky, I don't even know what it's called, the little like ear or the eye hole thing that you got to stick the thing. I've never done that. I'm like, and I'm, I'm like freaking out. Like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to do this. Thank God the guy next to me, I said, I don't know how to do this. And he looks at me, he goes, you do this, you click it here. And I'm like, oh, 
because I don't want to raise my hand. Raise my hand. Uh, Mr. Company Commander, I don't know how to work a necklace. How do you think that would have gone over? I don't think it would have gone over very well. So, uh, but he told me how to do it, and I mean, I'm, I'm like, what did I get myself into here? So then they kind of separate you into companies, and they get you off to the, uh, to the barracks for, for sleeping that night. Now, like I said, I don't remember. i got a pretty good memory, but I'm, I don't remember a lot what happened other than those incidents because those, were, those, those stood out very much in my mind. And I think, you know, it was late. It was probably about, they tell you, you're going to be up. You've got a lot of paperwork to fill out. You've got to do all this stuff. You're probably not going to get to bed till 2 in the morning, and they're going to come wake you up at 4 or something like that, which is probably about what happened. I don't think it was that late. I think it was about 1 in the morning. We finally get to the barracks. It's just a temporary barracks. You're just sleeping there for the night. They give you, like, a, uh, they give you, if I remember correctly, they give you, like, um, bedding and stuff. You've got to put your bedding on, and then you got to, then they come in. And Now, this is when you meet your real company commander, and you've heard the stories. You've seen the movies. You've seen Full Metal Jacket. You've seen... Uh, probably stripes where the drill sergeant comes in with a garbage can, throws the garbage can down the middle, and it's like, get out of there, and starts screaming and yelling and scaring the crap out of you. That didn't happen. It happened in the barracks next to us because that woke me up. I heard the, the can, and I'm like, uh-oh, here comes ours. Our, book, our uh, company commander comes in, turns the lights on, and says, all right, guys, got to get up. we got stuff to do. We've got a busy day, so please get out of bed. Let's go. I need, you to, I need you guys moving now. And, I mean, it literally was in that tone. More about this guy later because it does get – things change. But not with this guy. This guy was cool. You know, because one of the things that you were, I was told by people who were in the Navy, I was told that you're either going to get one – you're going to get two types of company commanders. You're going to get the drill sergeant, like, like the uh, guy in full metal jacket type company commander who's the yeller, the screamer, or you're going to get more of the people person who – Still going to make you do stuff, but he's going to be a little bit more people-oriented, let's just say. We got the people guy. This guy was just laid back. He's like, whatever, come on, guys, let's go. We got, I'm in the Navy, you're in the Navy, I got to train you, low, so let's just do this. So I remember, oh, wow, I guess I got one of the people persons. Once again, that changes. That's for another episode. So uh, we, get, <laughs> we get out of bed, we grab our bedding, we, get, we, we start heading out. So, so now it's all about getting your uniforms, going to the tailor, getting, you know, they gave us sweats, so you were in, like, Navy sweats for, like, the first three days, Smurfs, they call the Smurf, because you look like a Smurf, you know, they, you had a beanie cap on, and blue, 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 so they called, you know, and everybody knew you were, you were new, because you were in the sweat, you were in the sweatpants, I don't even know how they do it now, but that's how they did it then, and you would get dungarees, they don't even dungaree, they don't even have dungarees anymore, you know, that old Navy, you know, you, that old Navy look is gone, with the, like the, the jean-type dungaree and the light denim shirts, those are gone. But that's what they still had when I was in. So we had to get fitted for all those. And it was, those first few days were a blur. I'm going to end the story. I'm going to end a podcast with this. So those first few days were a blur. But I remember this. And this is, uh, this is one of those things where, you know, I, I told you episode one, I told you my mom was not a very, very uh, big fan of me going in the Navy. And I knew that. And the first three days were crazy. I, I literally was like, what the heck did I do? What did I do? I am, I'm in the Navy, and this, this is wrong. Why did I do this? I got people screaming and yelling at me. This is uh, why I, I made the biggest mistake of my life. And, uh, you know, you, you're having those second thoughts, and 
And, and now you're just in the middle of all this chaos. And, but what they do, they say, okay, you're going to call, you, you, we're going to take you to the phone center, and you're going to call your next of kin or whoever to tell them that you have made it safely, you are in the Navy, and everything is okay. Because obviously, you know, you got these 18-year-old, 19, 20-year-old kids that they ship out, and they say goodbye to their parents, and their parents don't hear from them. They don't know if they made it, like I said, long before texting, long before cell phones. They don't know if they made it. So um, they let you call. They let you make a phone call. And now, once again, like I said, we had this people person. They told you you're going to get three minutes. You only get three minutes. But we've got this guy who's this company commander who's a people person. He's like, guess you got, he's got about 30 minutes to go to the phone center. So I get on the phone, and I call my mom. And I am doing, I'm like, I just, I'm doing everything I can to not cry. 18-year-old kid, because if I start crying on the phone, knowing my mom, she's going to buy a tank, drive down, go through the front gate, and come and get me. And that would not be good for anybody. So I am doing everything I can to not cry. Like, I'm just like, but I got to get off the phone. They give us 30 minutes, I got to get off the phone because I can't talk to my mom that long. Otherwise, I'm going to break down. So I, uh, <laughs> so I'm trying not to cry. I'm like, everything's good, mom. Everything's good. And, and I didn't do a very good job, by the way, because later on in life, my mom said, oh, I knew it. I knew you. You were doing everything you could. I, I could tell. Yeah, you're right, mom. You could tell. So I didn't cry, though. I did it. I made it through. I got through those first three days. And this is what happened. Something clicked. And I don't remember exactly what it was. But in those first three days, something finally clicked for me where it was like, wait a minute, this is cool. You were, I think it was the day they went over the pay, actually. You know, they bring you in, they want to make sure in those first three days that when you, when you joined, that you weren't lied to, that the, that the recruiters didn't promise you things that aren't going to happen. And they verified your record. And they verified, you know, where you're at. So they go through my record, and they're like, okay, you're coming in as an E3. Is that correct? That is correct. You know, you're going to air traffic control, or you're going to uh, aviation electronics technician school. Yes, blah, blah, blah. And they verified it all. And they're like, all right, this is what you're going to pay, or this is what you're going to get paid based off of your E3. You will receive a check for this amount of money at this time. I'm like, I get paid for this? This is like high school football practice. But now I get paid for it, or basketball practice, whatever. But now I'm getting paid. And I think it was like, wait a minute. This is exactly what you want to do. This is a very short period of time, and then you're going to get to go work on airplanes. You've been wanting to do that your whole life. Well, a good chunk of it ever since the Top Gun days. You've been wanting to work on airplanes. You're going to get to go do that. So something clicked with me. It all of a sudden clicked, and then I was just like, I get paid for this. This is a joke. Have fun with this. They're just messing with you. That's what they're supposed to do. It's, just have fun. Have a good time. Laugh it off. And then, bam, everything was great. Boot camp was actually fine from that point on. Not that I'd say I'd want to go to boot camp again, but it actually was just fine. It was, I, I mean, I, the next time I talked to my mom, which wasn't for a few more weeks after that, it was things are great and it's a completely different tone of voice. I got lots of boot camp stories, though, because boot camp does, you know, I'm sure everybody out there who was in the military has boot camp stories. I got some crazy boot camp stories. Those are going to come to you next episode, episode number three. So this is episode number two here at veteranscast.com. Like I said, please email me, tim at veteranscast.com. 
I, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to hear your stories of your military days because I'm sure there's a lot of crazy cool stuff out there, and I'm just interested, and I'm sure other people are as well. So we'll catch you next time right here at VeteransCast.com. I'm Tim Kuda. We'll see you. Later.